0: The last week of "God Never said" that I have enjoyed this series. It's been something a little bit different for us. It's been fun. Next week, we're starting a new series called "Recession Road." Exit now. So many people right now legitimately afraid, and I understand why of the oncoming recession or the recession that maybe we've already started. And the Bible talks a lot about how we can prepare in situations like that. So I'm looking forward to that series. It's going to be one of the most practical series that we've done. I feel like we've been covering some heavy topics lately and um, digging into some theology lately and getting a little deeper than we normally do around here. And I want to get back to doing a very practical series, a series that impacts everyone, but also a series that the Bible talks so much about. So excited about that series starting next week, Recession Road. But this week, God never said that. So many things that we say in the name of Jesus just simply aren't true. We throw them out there because they sound cute, they sound cliche, they, they make people feel good in the moment. Sometimes... They make people feel guilty in the moment. (laughs) We do whatever it is that we're trying to do, but the reality is, as you break down the Bible and make no mistake about this, this is our authority. Not what society says, not what religion says, not what denominationalism says, not what tradition says, not what society says, because that changes. This book is our authority. It is the the proving ground for our belief system. It's as relevant today as it was the day it was written. And so when we hear different things, we always have to go back and say, man, does that or does that not line up with the Word of God? And so we've been looking at these subjects, and we're in the last week of this series, and this week I want to talk to you about what I consider to be a very dangerous lie. But it's one of the lies that we tell ourselves to justify our wrong behavior. I'm going to tell you ahead of time, it'll probably be a little bit tense today. We're going to be talking about some things that will convict us in some ways. There's probably not a person in here today who at one time or another has not dealt with the issue that we're going to talk about today. So to kind of get into the right frame of mind today, I want to do something a little bit different I want you to look to your right. Everybody look to your right. I want you to look to your left. And based on a snap judgment, I'm going to count to three, and I want you to point to the person on your right or left that you think is the biggest sinner. Are you ready? One, two, three. There you go. Good job. I saw one person pointing to themselves. I appreciate the honesty of that person. A truthful sinner. I like that about him. It's funny. We live in a day and time where culture and the church acts like it's unacceptable to talk about sin. It's no longer a popular thing. It's not a feel-good thing. It kind of goes along with what I like to call the wussification of America. We can no longer call a spade a spade. We can no longer hold people accountable. We can no longer confront people in their sin. And we think we do that to judge them. So many times we do that because we love them. I want to buy in and talk about this lie very simply today. And here's the lie. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you do. As long as you don't hurt anyone, you do you, boo boo. Doesn't matter what you do. It's not your business what I do. As long as what you do only affects you, your life, your rules. If it feels good, Do it. It doesn't matter what you do. Sounds good. Matter of fact, I wish this was true. It doesn't matter what you do. If this was true, I'd be in a lot of trouble, more so than I normally am. You think I'm white trash now. Imagine if I believed this. It doesn't matter what you do. Of all the topics that we have covered, if there's any that I want to be true, it is this. I'm an impulsive guy. You probably find that surprising. What pops in my mind, I want to do, and I want to do it instantly, and I don't want to wait, and I'm a very impatient person. And I wish this was true, but the problem with this statement, it doesn't matter what you do, is... God never said that. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that, and we're going to dive into that reality today. We're going to talk about what the Bible says about our behavior. I want to reflect a little bit. I want you to think back to the time when Jesus lived, and what do you think the biggest cultural value was during that day? If you were to read the Bible, if you go back to when Jesus lived and you look at the different things, and this is totally up for debate, but it's kind of my opinion as I study. I, I can make a very strong argument that the biggest issue that culture faced in that day and time, based on what I read, was it was a very big issue of day, that justice was very important. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. The Bible is full of if you do something, you deserve to be penalized for doing it. That's how the culture believed. Justice was a very big issue I asked you that question today. what What do you think the biggest cultural value in our world today is? Again, you could make arguments and everybody's entitled to their opinion. There's no fact to this. It's just opinions. But I think the biggest cultural value right now might be tolerance. Even the definition of tolerance has massively changed over the past decade or so. Tolerance used to mean that all people have equal value. In other words, we're giving value to people. All people. All lives matter. That's how it used to be. Today, though, through tolerance, has evolved to mean that all ideas and all behavior have equal value. Doesn't matter what you do, it has equal value. Doesn't matter your opinion. It has equal value. We're tolerant of everything. You want to put a tail on and walk around and piss in a litter box at school? Man, hey, that's sure right. It's, we're cool. We're tolerant. Is it not true? That's the issue that we live in. The definition of tolerance has changed so much so that in our culture today that it's wrong and even unacceptable to say that somebody's behavior is wrong no matter what the Bible says about it, who are we to say that is wrong? We live in the day where black and white no longer exists. We live in the land of gray. We live in the land of it doesn't matter what you do as long as you do you. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if what you do is right or wrong. I have to be tolerant of it because I don't want to offend you. That's our society that we live in. It's the day and time that we live in. Who are we to say something is right and something's wrong? We're no one, but this book is. This book sets the standard in which the world functions and how we're to live our life. We live in the day and time where We want to water everything down. I mean, think about it. If we look at the category of sexual sin, for example, people are no longer addicted to pornography. Because porn's a bad word. They're just into the adult entertainment. Sounds so much more acceptable, doesn't it? Someone doesn't commit adultery. They have an affair. Was an affair? It's a whirlwind. We cheapen everything. We take it down. We've taken what was once wrong and we've changed it in a way to make it acceptable in the culture that we live in. And therefore we have the mindset that it doesn't matter what you do. There is no longer right and wrong. We have eliminated sin from our vocabulary because after all, if it's not hurting anybody, why would it be wrong? Why shouldn't I have the right to do what I want to do? But the reality is the Bible talks a lot about sin. The Bible says, for him to know it to do good and do it not, it is sin. What a sin, Gary. Well, you know to do something and you don't do it. It's not complicated. Now, the other problem is because the pendulum swings so far in both directions that the church always responds in the exact opposite. We've made sin some kind of unforgivable thing. We've acted, and the church has responded to the fact that society says no sin to us saying the consequences of sin are horrible. They're unforgivable. Who are you? (laughs) And... It's crazy. We've got to get in that middle and there's some balance. There is right and there is wrong. There is sin. But we need to have a proper understanding of sin. See, God is a God of grace. God is a God of love. God is a God of second chances. I'm on about my 1,230th second chance this year. He's a God of grace. But so many people are missing out on God's grace. They're missing out on God's best because they're being controlled by their sin nature and we live in a day and time where no one will confront them about it for fear of hurting their feelings. I heard a speaker one time and he gave a speak a speech. It was a TED talk and it was a talk on the law of the 10%. And what he said was when we confront people, our friends, we confront those that are in addiction, when we're dealing with people that need to hear truth, we say 90% of what needs to be said. The 90% is the easy part. It's the part that honestly they already know. It's the part that's not going to offend them. And I'm I'm not doing his talk justice. And I actually tried everything I could to find the talk this week online and couldn't find it for some reason. But then he went on to talk, about. he said, but the last 10% is the 10% that changes their lives. But we're afraid to say that because we don't want to hurt their feelings. We don't want to lose the friendship. It's not our place. The Bible says as iron sharpens iron. We get better by having people in our lives who have to confront us on certain things. I confronted someone this morning about something. I didn't confront them out of anger. I didn't confront them out of being mad. I didn't confront them because I hated them. I confronted them because I loved them, want what's best for them. I heard something about them, and they had the opportunity to clarify what I heard. I didn't pull any punches with them. I said what needed to be said because I love this individual. I said the 10% that needed to be said. You said, did they get mad? I don't think so, but if they did, I don't care. It needed to be said. Our friendship will be even stronger now because they know I love them enough not to ignore things I hear. We think we have friends and can't even speak truth to the friend. We're in these marriages that we think have great communication and can't even speak the truth in our marriage. Christine and I decided about a year and a half ago, we've been together almost 10 years, so it took us eight and a half years to get to this point. So I ain't saying we have it all together. We decided we'd rather speak truth and fight for an hour than not speak truth and let it fester for months, blow up into a fight and fight for days. I don't like it sometimes when she confronts me about it. She confronted me this week about something. I didn't like it. I got defensive about it. It made me angry. Why do we get angry even though we know they're right? I knew they were right. But as I, well, there wasn't nothing to get busted on. It was just a collaboration of being in different places. But after I stopped, I listened, I stew for a minute, we were able to move on and say, You're right, we'll work on that. In the past, first eight and a half years, we would have said nothing. It would have festered. Then eventually it would have come out at the most inopportune time, probably a Sunday morning before church. And then I would have had to fake it on a Sunday morning. Praise the Lord. know, and I just fight. Know my wife's down there steaming. And when I get out of here, we finish in the fight. Now we're able to move on. I can do what I want to do. God is a God of grace, but we're missing out on that grace because we are living life less than what God intended for us to live. We're living life by our rules instead of the way the Bible lays it out, the guidelines that the Bible says, if you want to have a fulfilling life, here's how you live. And we had these myths, if you will, about sin. I actually told at a church one time, at a conference, this is years ago, and when I showed up to teach, it was a mega church, a very large church. They pulled me into a room, and they said, we have some guidelines for those who get on our stage. Okay, I respect it. I want to know, but I don't want to do anything to put that pastor in a weird position or undermine what he does. But they had a list of words you couldn't use. One of them was the word sin, I made it till about the third sentence. I had to say the word. They did four services back to back to back to back, did the same sermon over and over. I walked backstage after that boy, and it was just, the staff was all freaked out, and everybody was scared. I didn't even realize I'd done it. I I only think I was going to use the word. They implanted it into my head not to do it, and the rebel in me had to say it. I'm like, we've got to address this before the next three services. So what do we got to address? You said sin. So well, isn't that a biblical word? We like to just talk about it as mistakes. So, okay. Needless to say, the next three services, I said the word again. and was never invited back to that church. And the funny thing is I used the word, and I don't think they got one complaint about the word because no one even paid attention to the sermon anyway. But we got a bunch of people who've watered down the Bible We've taken biblical words and we've watered them down because we don't want to offend somebody. I don't want to offend you today, but I want to speak truth to you today. I want you to know that sin is real. And sin will take you further than you ever wanted to go. It will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. Sin will take you and beat you up like you've never been beaten up before. And the reality is, the Bible says, For all of sin to come short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. There is nobody here perfect. We all mess up. We all screw up. The difference is, are we being controlled by our sin? Or are we getting victory over our sin? We're never going to achieve perfection this side of heaven. But we have to make our sin submit to our supernatural side, the godly side. We've got to quit buying in. To the fact that there's some myths out there. Sin myth number one that we do that is I'm not a sinner. I'm not a sinner. It's very common in our world today because we don't like that word for people to believe number one. I'm not a bad person. Did, did anybody ever say sinning makes you a bad person? Sinning just makes you a person. But we've Because we've moved away from relationship to religion, and religion is based on a set of rules, we think if we mess up, we must be bad. I'm not a bad person. All over the world, we're not bad people. But we're born with a sin nature. I mean, I make some mistakes along the way, but I'm not a sinner. And the reality is, is that simply isn't true. The Bible says in John 1, 8, if we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. The Bible says those who say they are without sin are deceiving themselves because we have a sinful nature. See, the problem is we think we're a good person because we compare ourselves to other people. Don't miss this. We compare ourselves to other people. Well, you know what? I'm not so bad. They did this, this, and this, and this. We compare ourselves. We may be tempted to say, I, I, I can always find someone worse than me. Christine's family, her grandmother and her grandfather, and everyone, and her dad, even and everyone, they've always loved me. They've always been good to me. And I have people say, Man, how, how did that happen? And I say, Man, the, here's the greatest thing you can do. I'm like a four on a scale of one to ten. You just got to make sure the husband before you was less than what you were. It's not that I'm great. He was probably a two and I'm a four. But we're all bad people. That's our problem. We compare ourselves to others. And I'm not saying he's two. He's a good guy. If you're watching online, Jerome. I'm sorry. Just trying to be funny for the sermon. But I am a four. The problem is, we're not to compare ourselves to others. We compare ourselves to a holy and perfect God. And when we compare ourselves to God, we're horrible. I'm not trying to be mean here today. We're horrible, filthy sinners. We're all bad people. We all mess up. Because we mess up, God had to send His only Son to live a perfect life to pay the price for our sins. See, I, I don't know that I agree with that. Well, let me ask you a question. I want you to be honest. I know it's church and it's hard to be honest, but I want you to be honest. How many of you have ever told a lie? Ever told a lie? Look around, look around, look around, look around. Me too. Two hands up. Okay. If, how many of you have ever told a lie? Put your hands up. Put your hands up. Now look around, the, don't have their hands up, point to them and tell them they're lying. They're lying right now, so they need to raise their hands. How many of you have ever stolen something, something, piece of gum as a kid, something, you've stolen something? Look at that. That's a lot of people. I mean, I I stole my wife's heart 10 years ago. That's about the only thing I've ever stolen. This is going to be hard now. Listen, I'm talking, because none of you would do this now because you're in a relationship and I understand that. But how many of you have ever, at one time, years ago, before you met your spouse, you have looked lustfully at somebody else? Somebody else. Mm hmm. I mean, when I was 14, I did that. Never, never again. Point being is we've all screwed up, we've all messed up. (laughs) A person who lies is what? Well, they're a liar. And the person who steals something's a what? Thief. The person who sins is a sinner. I'm not talking down to you today. I'm not trying to beat you up today. I'm not trying to make you feel bad today. The reality is, is we are sinners, hence why we need a Savior. So you've got to quit buying into the lie that I'm not a <laughs> sinner. Now, you saw the hands out there. Everybody lusted, and everybody, a person who lusted, according to the Bible, is an adulterer. So basically, to Action Church, man, where everybody's a lying, thieving, adulterer. Man, you should feel at home now. We're all in good company around here, all messed up. Our early tagline, the first advertisement we ever did was, Action Church, no perfect people allowed. No perfect people allowed. People got so offended by that didn't grasp it. I guess Jesus wouldn't be allowed in your church. We, we, We had this mindset that literally, this is what it says, at the core, people are good. Oh, at the core, people are bad. Left to our own devices, we're bad. Allow anarchy to ensue. Allow there to be no rules, no regulations, no laws, and I can guarantee you, you won't see the good in people, you'll see the bad in people, because it's our human nature. The Bible says this in Romans 3.10, as it's written, there is no one righteous, not even one. That means the person sitting next to you has sinned, and the person sitting on the other side of you has sinned, and the preacher has sinned, and... This week, it's always funny anytime you have a disagreement with someone and you're the pastor, you automatically, I thought you were a pastor. Surprise. Even pastors mess up. Someone came up to me recently after I said, Man, I enjoy this church. And I said, Man, I appreciate it. They said, I've never had a pastor who struggles with the same things I struggle with. And I said, Yeah, you have. You've never had a pastor who'd get on stage and tell you he struggles with the same things you struggle with. I learned a long time ago, do not set me up on a pedestal because I will let you down. I tell people all the time in our newcomers class, if I have not upset you yet and let you down yet, just wait, I will. Why? Because I'm human. I'm not setting out to let you down. It just happens. I sin. There's times... My life is straight out of a Jerry Springer episode. This last week, I thought to myself, how am I not a multimillionaire from being on reality television? I literally had a guy try to run me off a road this week that I've never seen as his fat head hung out a window, spit coming down his face, telling me he was going to kill me. You say, what? Well, I said, yeah, it would have been a great show. Like, and that's what I think about during that time. He said, did you get freaked out? No, I just thought, man, where are the cameras? Like, why don't I have a full-time camera guy with me all the time? It'd be so much fun. It sounds crazy. I love my life. I like to flaunt it out there for everyone. But I don't have it together. You don't have it together. No one has it together. And in the eyes of God where the standard is perfection, we're sinners. So it's... Myth number one is we've got to understand we're all sinners. I'm not a sinner is the myth. The second sin myth that we've got to address is all sin is the same. All sin is the same. You're going to hear this all the time from people. And many people believe this. Well, sin is sin. Who are you to judge me? What I'm doing is no worse than what you're doing. All sin is the same. Here's the newsflash, baby. God never said that. All sin is not the same. We need to understand, and please hear me clearly, the Bible never teaches that all sin is the same. Now, don't miss this. All unforgiven sin outside of Christ leads to death, separated from God. Our relationship with Christ is the ultimate sin forgiver. But the Bible says this in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death with the gift of God's eternal life. So there's a wage for our sin. That sin is death. So in that context, all sin is the same. But here, there's different consequences for different sins. There's different consequences for different sins. For example, one time I was driving to work one morning in my previous church, and I had to turn onto a four-lane highway, two lanes on one side, two lanes on the other side. And I'll be honest with you, I misjudged the speed of the approaching car, and I pulled out in front of him. I was in the wrong. I gave the universal sign for my bad. You know, you hold your head down, my bad. He zoomed around me and gave me the universal sign for I am number one. As he bypassed me, I saw his rearview mirror and saw a sticker for the church where I pastored. Now, I wouldn't be much of a pastor if I didn't take that as a learning opportunity for him, so I chased him down. Riverstone Parkway. My foot hit the accelerator. I flew up next to him. (laughs) And being the loving pastor that I am, I cannot let you live in sin. I had to confront him, so I pulled up beside him. I rolled down my window. I don't know what that was, but I rolled down my window. He rolled down his window. I said, good morning. Pastor, I'm sorry. Now here's the reality. He was in sin shooting me a bird. That was wrong. But there would have been different consequences had he shot at me with a gun. See what I'm saying? Different consequences. See, <laughs> so we need to understand that sin... Number one, it influences our consequences here on earth. If you're a blessing to other people, they're more likely to be a blessing to you. If you're sinful to other people, there's consequences. For example, if you work in the kids area, and let's say you, the Bible talks about gluttony is a sin, not taking care of our body. Gary Lamb, we're all sinners. The sin of gluttony is not going to allow you not to serve in the kids' area. We're going to let you serve. You have the sin of being inappropriate with children. You're not serving in the kids' area. Different sins, different consequences. We serve a forgiving God. There's consequences for our sins. I'm divorced. Because I am divorced, I dealt with the earthly consequences of I got to see my two oldest children every other weekend and one night a week. That was the consequence for that sin. Will that sin keep me from heaven? Absolutely not, because I'm under the blood. I've accepted Christ, and I'm under grace. But there's still consequences. If I go into a ballroom, and I get into a fight, and they poke my eye out, and I lose my eye, here's the deal. My eye doesn't grow back because I asked for forgiveness. There's still consequences for that. I don't have an eye. So what I'm trying to tell you is all sin is not the same. Our sin influences our consequences on earth. But did you know our sin also influences our consequences in heaven? How we live influences our rewards in heaven. Did you know the Bible talks about that we are storing up rewards in heaven? that we're storing up crowns or jewels that we can cast in worship. Man, this microphone does not like me to bend over. I have now hit the, such a fat status that when I bend over, my triple chin hits the microphone. Consequence of sin, of gluttony. We will cast those jewels at the feet of Jesus as we worship him. We have to recognize that God rewards certainly, certain godly behaviors in heaven, and there are rewards in heaven eternally for how we live here has nothing to do with us getting to heaven. But our actions here reflect our rewards. Did you know that it influences our punishment in hell if we die without Christ? Scripture heavily implies that how we live, even outside of Christ, impacts our punishment in hell some degree or another. We don't know all the details about it, but the Bible talks about different levels of hell. Look what it says in Luke 20, 47. They devour widows' houses, and for a show they make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Talking about in the afterlife. The Bible is saying here is the religious, those who do things in the name of God but don't know God, will be punished the worst. That ought to scare the religious today. He hates that type of hypocrisy. The Bible's Jesus' answer to Luke 19, 11, He's talking to Pilate here before they crucified him. Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of the greater sin. He's telling Pilate, you just found me guilty, but the one who gave me to you is guilty of the greater sin. Paul warns over and over and over and over and over about the consequences of sexual sin. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commit are outside of the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. What he's saying here is that there's no other sin that clearly affects the body like the sexual sins. There's different consequences to our actions is what it's saying. He's saying that when you sin sexually, you're you're affecting your own body, your mental health, your physical health doesn't matter what you do, gear. as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. I know sometimes you can hurt yourself, and you don't realize that. So myth number two, all sin is the same is simply not true. I can do what I want to do. Well, you can. But there's consequences for doing outside of the will of God. Sin myth number three when it comes to this. Since I have done it, I might as well keep on doing. Already screwed up now. Huh. Man, evidently a couple thousand years ago this was very true. Because Paul in Romans six one asks a very pointed question as they kept on sinning. He says, What shall we say? Then shall we go on in sinning so that grace may increase? See, the church has now adopted the mindset, we're not going to preach on sin, we're going to preach on grace so much that you keep doing what you want to do because God's grace is enough. And let me make this very clear, God's grace is enough. That being said, when you truly understand God's grace, you'll want to change the way you live. When you understand God loves you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for you, that he gave his life for you, in the midst of your muck and your mire, He picked you up and set you on the solid rock. When you realize how much He loves you and how good God's grace is, it won't make you want to have a license to keep on sinning. It'll make you want to live in a way that glorifies Him, that brings glory to Him. People tell me all the time, I just wish as a church... We'd go deeper sometimes. We'd go deep. Go deep all day long. But you need to understand something. Spiritual maturity is not how much we know. It's how much we obey. As you grow in your faith, you'll want to obey the teachings of Christ, not because you have to obey the teachings of Christ, but because you realize oh, teaching, following the teachings of Christ and obeying the teachings of Christ gives you the life of peace Contentment and prosperity. And by prosperity, I don't necessarily mean financial prosperity, just prospering in life. The more in tune I am with Christ, the more in tune my life is with where I want it to be. My wife and I, on a regular basis, will ask each other, How's your time with God? Because we can tell. She can tell when my personal time with God is where it should be and when my personal time with God is not where it should be. As I'm seeking to understand his love for me, I begin to want to live out the teachings of Christ. The problem is, most Christians in our culture today, is you don't need to go deeper because you're educated beyond your obedience. You know the Bible frontwards and backwards, but you don't live it out. You're a knowledge whore. Feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. I want knowledge, but I'm going to live within action. I always tell people, the minute we understand the big two, love God and love people, I'll go deeper. But I have learned at 46 years old and being a Christ follower now since I was 21, so 25 years of going to Bible college, preaching, giving my life for the gospel, I still suck at the first two. I try. I think I got the love God thing down. I think I do. In the last few years, I think I've got that I love God no matter what's going on, what he does for me, what, he's he saved my life, and I love him. I mean, that love people thing. Mm. It's a hard one. Now, I knew I was kind of loving people this week when the guy tried to run me off the road, and I looked in my rearview mirror, and I saw that he actually ran off the road and was about to flip his truck, and I was like, crap, let me stop him. I'm like, go help this guy who wants to kill me because he's about to die. And I thought, well, look at that, I'm full of love. He didn't flip, so I drove on. See, I'm growing, but it's hard to do the first two. You want to go deeper, we can't do the big two. You want to be educated? Like, dry, let me tell you what drives me. This, I'm going to offend some of you because some of you have done it. I'd love, I'd love Pastor Gary if uh, you would just break down verse by verse the Book of Revelation for me. Why? I just want to know. Why? You don't live out love, God, love people. You're just a knowledge whore. You want all kinds of knowledge, but you don't want to live it out. Who did the time someone called the church and they said, oh, We just moved to the area and we want to know where you stand on the end times? In the end times, there's pre trib, post trib. I know some of you don't know what that means, meaning we're going to be here. Some people believe we'll be gone before the end of the tri- or before the tribulation. begins. some people believe we'll be gone after the tribulation. They said, "Are you pre-trib or post-trib?" That was his first question, and I thought, "Man, we are not the church for you." Like if that's the first question, so I said, "Man," and I have a personal opinions on that. So let me go ahead and tell you, I have personal opinions. I don't know if I'm right because I've heard arguments on both sides, and they both make sense. I don't know, but I said, "Man, we're pan trib pan trib He got all excited. I'm not familiar with that theology. Pan-tribulation, could you very quickly tell me what that's about? I said, man, I believe it all pan out in the end. <laughs> Click, young <laughs> up. We want to go deep, but we don't want to act in obedience to what we're reading and what we're learning. Man, since I, I've been doing it, I might as well keep on doing it, God's grace. No, when you understand God's grace and that God loves you, you'll want to live in a way that pleases him. I want to live in a way that pleases my wife. My wife and I have been through some things, boy, and going through those things, I realize how much she loves me. I don't want to hurt her. I don't want to cause pain to her. I want to live in a way that glorifies her and lifts her up. Not because she's making me live that way, but because I want to live that way. I don't need to live in a way, a godly way, so God will love me. He already loves me. I do it because I love him and I don't want to do things that are displeasing to him. I'm not going to keep on doing what I do. I don't want to be the same person. I want people who knew me a year ago to be like, there's something different about him a year later. I used to always say about my, my divorce, I used to always say, man, when my kids turn 18 and they hear why me and their mom got divorced, Years later, I want to be looking and be like, man, I can't even imagine my dad being like that. I don't know that dad. Because everything they're going to hear is true. But I hope over 13 years I've grown and I've changed. Do you ever meet someone, you run to them 10 years later, and and they haven't changed at all? They're the same person. It's mind-blowing to me. Because things that are not growing are dying. They're literally the same person. They might not even be a bad person. They're just the same person. I hope I'm not the same person I was six months ago. Because I'm trying the best I can to live in a way that glorifies God. Because, man, he took me, old country boy from Tecula, Georgia, who messed up over and over and over, and he's given me a platform to talk about him. When nobody else saw me, I was voted most likely, listen, this is what I was voted in my high school year, but my senior, most likely to be a millionaire and to go to jail for being a millionaire. That was me. They were close. That's who he looked at and said, I'm gonna use that idiot. I could do something with him. Why? When I not man. We love because he first loved us. When you realize someone loves you, it just changes everything. Sin's progressive. The problem is it doesn't start. I I, I don't know anybody, anybody who's a hardcore drug addict who started doing hardcore drugs. It progressed to that. I don't know anybody who suddenly just started having affairs. It started with a wink, a nudge, a look, a talk, and neglect over here. And it led to something else. Sin progresses. it'll take you further than you ever wanted to go. it costs cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. It'll keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. Like, this offends you, I'm sorry. I'm gonna make a shirt. I just had this shirt idea. Sin's a bitch. Like it is. It's horrible. It'll destroy you. And we're all sinners. And on this side of heaven, we're never not gonna be sinners. Let me make that clear. But that's not a license to sin. We always need to be bringing that sin into submission, we need to be walking in the Spirit. The body says we make our body submissive to the things of God. I, I don't even Listen. You live the way God wants you to live. Not because the preacher guilts you. Not because the preacher beats you up. Not because the preacher gets up there and screams and shouts and, man, you don't want him to find out about it. You, you don't live the way God wants you to live to get God to love you. You live the way God wants you to live because you realize he does love you. And you want to honor him. Anybody had someone who's who, who just ever been good to you? Just has been good to you. When I lost everything, I had a family that was good to me. I haven't talked to that family in probably nine years. But I watch, I still, I mean, we're still friends. I watch them on Facebook. And, and like, I saw something recently that the daughter who literally was probably... 10 or 12 years old when they were good to me. I think she was getting married or something. And like, my heart was so full for them because I want nothing but the best for them because of how good they were to me in my darkest hour. And God's been good to you, God's been better than you deserve. We deserve hell. But God's grace gave us heaven. And you're going to mess up along the way. But it's not a license to keep on doing it. Talking to a buddy of mine who's an alcoholic, and it's literally killing him. He's literally miserable. No life, sits at home alone, works to be able to go home and sit in his garage alone at night and drink. It, it's pathetic. And I looked at him and I said, man, aren't you miserable? He said, I'm miserable. He said, I'm alone. And I said, man, why do you keep on doing this? I'll never forget what he said. It broke my heart. He said, I'm 57 years old. I'm too old to change. Pathetic. I've just been sinning forever, so I'm going to keep on sinning. I'm just miserable. I've done it for 57 years. You might have another 15 years, you could live great. 15 years ago, like someone said, I literally had someone that said, I probably got about 20 years left on this earth. You know what I would, I didn't even live in Canton 20 years ago. That's a long time. I wouldn't want to stay in those twenty years just being miserable in my sin. Ten years ago, I wasn't even married to Christine. I can't hardly even imagine my life before her. Ten years—a long time. If I had the opportunity to live the next ten years of my life in a clean, sober, good way, I'd be living my life in that way. I wouldn't be, oh, I'm going to be miserable forever. You're pathetic. Literally, you've got a loser mindset allowing sin to control you. You're pathetic. Why would you live that way when you have a God who loves you? I can do what I want to do. Here's the reality. God loves you so much, he'll let you do what you want to do. God's never going to force you to love him. He's never going to force you to live a certain way. But the problem is you're doing what you want to do and you know deep down inside you're miserable and you keep doing what you've been getting and you're so dumb and I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings. You're so dumb, you keep wondering why you keep getting what you've been getting. It's a crazy cycle. Do stupid stuff, crazy consequences. Because of crazy consequences, you keep doing crazy stuff. That leads to crazy consequences. Break the cycle. We had a situation recently with our daughter or she handled her situation very well. And I got to be honest with you. It made us a little mad. Because she didn't handle it how we would have handled it. We'd have probably been in jail. We'd have whooped somebody. And she handled it like you're supposed to handle the situation. And I looked at Christine. And Christine's like, I don't understand why she won't. And I said, you know why she won't blam, 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 blam? I could, I said, because you finally broke the cycle you went to counseling you got your crap together you showed her there's a different way to grow up and handle life now right now you're fired up and you want to go back to that old christine and handle it this way you don't understand why she ain't handling it that way because you taught her better man why would you want to keep living in that sin and pass it down to the next generation because the bible talks about generational sin frontwards and backwards all the time So you can keep doing what you want to do. But you're going to keep getting the consequences you get. I can do what I want to do. God never said that. God gave us a book full of principles. Full of principles. Notice I did not say rules. He gave us a book full of principles. God's ways are better than our ways. If you think you got it all figured out, man, you're in for a shocker. The more I submit to God, the more God moves in my life, the more peace that passes all understanding I have in my life the more impact I'm able to have, the more contentment I'm able to have. When I quit doing things my way and I try my best to do things God's way. We're going to talk about that in the next series, actually, on Recession Road. I'm going to talk about one of those subjects that every one of you hate, money. For the next four weeks, go ahead and make plans not to be here. But here's the deal, I'm not going to talk about taking your money. But I'm going to talk about how to handle your money. Because if you knew how to handle your money, you wouldn't be worried about the recession. Do you know the Bible talks more about money than it does faith, prayer, and evangelism all combined? Because a new faith, excuse me, a new money would be where we'd lack faith. I'm going to educate some of you over the next four weeks. I'm going to show you, you don't have a money problem. You've got a spending problem. You spend more than you make. We're going to talk about how to get out of your debt the next four weeks. We're going to talk about how to save up money. We're going to talk about why God blesses you with money. We're going to talk about how to invest your money. You know the Bible talks about investing and storing up? Somebody said, what do you think about the recession? I said, well, I ain't real worried about it. It sucks, don't it? I said, yeah, it sucks. Every time I fill up my truck, it sucks. But I sure am glad I learned the principles. I'm going to teach you biblical principles I taught you a long time ago. Christine gets so mad. She's like, you don't even know how much gas is. I said, what's the point knowing? I got to get it. Just pull in to gas station and get it. If I look at it, it's going to make me cry. But here's what I know. I got the money to pay for it. Because I follow God's principles on money. I'm telling you. Now, I already know some of you are not going to come back during that series. I'll see you in October. in October. got a great series in October. Awesome. I'm doing a series in October called The Algorithm of Life. Oh, it's going to be fun. So I'll see some of you back in October. But I'm telling you, out of every series I teach this year, next month will be the biggest game-changing series. I'm going to tell you this. If you've got kids that are teenagers and you don't make them come to church, you should make them come to church during this series. Because, man, don't you wish someone taught you how to handle your finances while you were a teenager? Because I can guarantee you, school ain't going to teach them. I'd force them to be here. I can't. You can, you're the parents. That's your problem. You don't think you can force them to do something? That's why they are how they are. Oh, that's another sermon. Maybe we'll do that in the algorithm for life series. You can do what you want to do. God never said that. Let's pray.